welcome to Let's Take It From The Top. I am Hallie Mastro Berardino, your trusty host, and I am so excited for another episode. Today, my guest is Nick Ivler. Nick originally hails from Chicago, Illinois, but spent most of his time growing up in Atlanta, Georgia. Nick is a self-proclaimed Disney nerd, Beyonce nerd, and theater nerd. Upon graduating from the musical theater program at Texas State University, Nick joined the Broadway company of The Prom as a vacation swing. But today, Nick's going to take it back to his time in college when he played the MC in a production of Cabaret. I am so excited to hear all about Nick's experience, and I hope you guys are too. Without further ado, here's Nick. Hi, Nick. Hello. How are you? I'm doing so well. How are you, Hallie? I'm good. I'm good. So where are you right now? I am at home at my parents in Georgia. I was in California for a long time, and then I had to move out of my New York apartment. So I flew back here. My dad and I drove up to New York, packed all of my stuff in our car, and then drove back. And now I'm here until further notice. (laughs) Wow. That drive must have been intense. How long yeah. does it take? It was like, I want to say 12 or 13 hours. We stopped halfway on the way there in D.C. My friend, dad actually has a friend in D.C. And I'd never been to D.C. before. So we kind of got to go downtown and walk around and see some of the monuments, which was very cool. It wasn't as bad on the way there, but on the way back and literally with piles of just apartment things <laughs> behind us, it was just like, let's just get home. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, that's good that mm-hmm. you're settled where you are now for now. I know, thankfully, so. and not having to pay New York City rent for a little bit. <laughs> yes, uh, I know. Yeah. So I live at home in Harrison, New York, and I like okay. will, would commute back and forth for auditions. So I am lucky that that was not something I had to figure out. But I know mm-hmm. so many of our of our mutual friends and just of yes. other people that that was a big thing. Well, I'm so excited that you're here with us today. So we are going to speak about your experience being the MC in Cabaret, which yes. I watched some videos of earlier today. <laughs> and I was like got, getting goosebumps. So I'm so oh. excited too, because this experience that you're going to talk about, I have never heard either. Uh, I've spoke to a couple of other people and I sort of had known their experience just from speaking with them while it was happening. So I'm excited Mm to be on the listener perspective and to soak in all of the stuff that you're going to talk about. Yeah. Okay. I think we're ready. Let's take it from the top. I feel like I need a five, six, seven, eight, two. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh God, where do I start? Well, I'll start by saying before auditions, it literally felt like my entire life had been leading up to this point. The MC was my dream role. I mean, Joel Gray was one of the first Broadway actors I saw myself in. He's 5'5", five five, I'm 5'5". Five five. I mean, it's, it's perfect. And he played a lot of the same characters I saw myself playing. And so I feel like it was my introduction to him that put the show on my radar. But since then, I kind of just like was learning about the show and and it eventually just became like one of my most favorite musicals. And I got to see the 2014 revival, I believe it was, with Alan Cumming, the the remount of the the OG roundabout production. And 
our production was directed, it was a thesis show for one of the MFA directing students. And he is very much into queer narratives, queer performance. And he wanted to make the show a very different version than like, I would say the two iconic versions I feel like people know. We have the like Joel Grey, Liza Minnelli, the original OG one. And then we have the Alan Cumming, Natasha Richardson, which is definitely went more like gritty, grimy. But what a lot of people don't know is that during this time in Berlin, it was very much a gay mecca. You had these quote unquote like drag balls where people, not just queer people, but would go and just dress to the nines. You would have straight men dressing up in these lavish gowns and you would have women like Marlena Dietrich would go to these. And it was this very just like free, fluid, accepting, crazy, androgynous, all these things during this time. And he was like, I want to create something that really is just glamorous, but also has this undertone, which is very true to the time, of something's not all right and something is going to happen. And I actually got to work with him before the show. We kind of just like got to talking about like queer history and and things. And, And he told me he loved cabaret. And I was like, oh my God, I love cabaret. And he had like mentioned in passing like this, this vision he had for the show. And I'm like, Oh my God, that sounds amazing. And something I love as an actor is I'm such a research buff. So I really love putting in a lot of extra work for, for roles. So like I read a book called gay Berlin at the time before the auditions and, and read a book on like the making of cabaret and the history of the show, just cause I was like, this is my dream role And I want to go in and be like, I'm ready, let's go. Because I fully believe it's like, if it's your dream role, then you literally go in and and it should just be like, if if it's me, great. If not, then I'm not the one for the vision, which is totally fine. So very excited, very nervous before auditions. And we got to auditions and we had to do a song not from the show and a song from the show. And... Mm -hmm. My song, I planned like a year in advance. I started trying to figure out because I was like, I want to do something that really encapsulates how I'm seeing the MC in this new world, in this androgynous take. And I was like, I feel like I need to do a song traditionally sung by a female. And I was like, what? Like, could I do a like Eliza Minnelli song? Like, what should I do? And then I was searching on YouTube and I saw this number. Nathan Lee Graham did this cover of Welcome to Burlesque from the Burlesque movie. (laughs) And the way he did it, it was a lot slower than it is in the movie and was very kind of like, oh God, I I wish people could see. I'm like doing these like flowy motions with my hands. So it's like, you kind of, you can see, but it's like, but like very like Marlena Dietrich, very just this like uh, enticing chanteuse kind of attitude. And I was like, that's it. But I was like, I want to really like curate this audition piece. And so I like worked with one of our our music directors at Texas State and was like, this is how I, I have it. And we really collaborated it so that I could get the cut I wanted on paper so I wouldn't have to go into the audition and be like, you're going to do this, 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 and this. And none of that is on the sheet music. 
So there was still some stuff I was going to have to be like, you're going to have to follow me at this point. But for the most part, it was pretty clear in the sheet music. But I, I mean, my parents can tell you, I literally, we, we have a dance studio in our home because we have this random, just like upstairs room that had nothing in it from the previous owners. And we were like, let's make it a dance studio. So I was just like the summer before rehearsing in that room in front of the mirror, planning out every little movement, but also making sure I allowed myself to, I don't know, have some freedom in the audition to play. And, uh, and so, yeah, I went in knowing exactly what I was going to do. And it was so terrifying. I remember the moment before I don't know. It was just like, it was like, again, like I said, like your whole life has been like leading up to this point. And it's like, wow, I've dreamt about this for so long. Here we go. I also, in addition to like planning the song, I was like, I want to be very intentional with my outfit. And so I found this painting that is actually referenced in a cabaret movie. I can't remember what it's called, but it was this famous journalist at the time. And this painting of her became famous because it's the representation of the androgyny of the era. She has this like monocle on and this like Justin Bieber, but like 40, like early Justin Bieber 40s cut. And she has like a cigarette in her hand and she's wearing this oversized plaid red and black shirt. And I was like, okay, I want to try and find something like that. And I luckily just found something on Amazon that was almost that exact same thing. So I tried to recreate that painting for my audition and me just being like, that's just the research nerd in me. Mm-hmm. But went in and it was terrifying. I, I start the song acapella and I was a little shaky at first because I was like, let's, <laughs> let's do it. Here we are. Right. <laughs> and then the music came in and I was like, Nick, you have spent how much time preparing for like, this is your space. It's one of those moments where you have to like, who is this character? This character is the kind of person it's like, he probably gets nervous, but it's his space. When you come into the Kit Kat club, that's his room. And that's how I had to treat that audition room. And I literally looked every single one of those people behind the table in the eye. I, <laughs> I flirted with the woman who's the head of our program who comes to all of our auditions. And it went really, really well. I was like really, really happy with it. And Tom, the director, because he's a research nerd, knew the painting I referenced. Caitlin was like, burlesque is my favorite movie. So that was a good move. And I was like, I had no idea, but it's good for me, hopefully. And yeah, I just, I, I don't remember anything else that was said. I just remember like commented on my outfit and she said that. And I just felt like I did what I came to do and whatever happens after happens. It's so funny you yeah. talking about like being the research buff because I mean, when we met, we did one show together that lasted mm-hmm. maybe three weeks. But mm-hmm. literally from the moment we met, there was just like a connection. I was like, this person gets me. And mm-hmm. I am so much like that in terms of loving to do that sort of background work and finding mm-hmm. things that nobody else knows about yeah. the show or about the character. And it's funny, I saw a production of Cabaret recently and watching it, I was like, there's something underneath all of this. And I, I was like, I feel like there's an unknown part. And all of that stuff that you found out about the show, I 
I have never known that before. It's, like- it's, yeah, it's such a subtextual show. Well, and especially like I wanted to know because all of the characters in the show are based off of actual people that Christopher Isherwood, the original author of the Goodbye to Berlin, which became I Am a Camera, which became Cabaret, knew. And the only one that was added is the MC. And the only thing I was able to find about the MC is he writes about how he went into this club, which I, I believe is the basis for the Kit Kat Club. And he was like this devilishly pale-faced man with this plastered smile, which obviously is like the iteration for, for Joe Gray. But then you look and it was like a lot of these MCs were, you had the the Joel Gray, the more of the like Chaplin-esque kind of cartoony, like devil may hair kind of guy. But then you also had these Chanteuse people. There's actually a a cabaret that to this day in Berlin is inspired by the old cabarets of, of Weimar Berlin of, of pre-Nazi Germany, Berlin. And the MC was a large basis for our MC. He has this beautiful red wig that I had a red wig for my show. And he walks around with this like like white face and this like gorgeous purple eyeshadow and these lips and he usually, he goes from like being in this tux to being in these like, uh, these like nightgowns, but with the feathers on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just the very iteration of how people and how queer people explored during that era. Research just adds so much to the show and it just make I think it makes it more fun yeah. getting to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. So what is the callback process like at Texas State? What was what were like the next steps to finally getting that cast list? There was three cuts that we could have prepared for the initial audition. So I did Welcome to Burlesque and then I did Money because I wanted to show very opposite end of the spectrum. I wanted to show the more Chaplin-y, like cartoony uh, side of the MC with Money. And then the next day I did Vyokomen and I did... I- I don't care much. And I remember I don't care much has always been one of those songs. Like, you know, those songs where you do or you listen to and you don't even have to try to connect or like figure out how does this work for me? It just something about it does, whether it be, I don't know, the lyrics or the music behind it. For me, it was just like a a beautiful combination of both. Mm -hmm. I love just uh, torch songs, like Billie Holiday style torch songs. And that song is like that, but it's for a man. And I did it and I was sobbing by the end. And and I remember he asked me, like, what about this song do you really connect to? And I was like, I just very much identified with what he's singing about in the song of having to put on this face and act like you're unbothered, you're unfazed by whatever's going on in your life or whatever someone is doing to you. And you have to put on that performer face and go on and I'm going to sing you this beautiful torch song and make you feel something, but I'm unbothered. And I was like, there's just something I really identify with that. And he was like, great. I want you to keep exploring with that in the future, just with this song in general because it's one of my most favorite songs to sing. So yeah, and then got a an email that night, and this is where it got really interesting. 
we got emailed. We had to come in the next day and basically improvise the whole beginning or most of the beginning of Vilkamen. And so we did the beginning of the song also without any backing, no accompaniment. So just completely a cappella. And then we had to like come up with our own jokes for all of the Kit Kat boys and girls. And it was just going to be like a free for all improv session. And it literally, I remember thinking, I'm like, this feels like a, a, a challenge that we would have on RuPaul's Drag. They would have, I was have on RuPaul's just drag thinking race. that. Like, <laughs> like, exactly. I'm like, we're having to, because we also got um, uh, sketch renderings of all the dancers so that we could, if like something about it stood out to us, be like, okay, I'm going to comment on what they're wearing or, 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 or this. And just like, I've never had to write like jokes or anything like that before. So I was like, okay, how's this going to work? But I, I did a lot of research that night on jokes that Alan Cumming had used as like, like for like one night, but like didn't make it to the recording or like, I, I looked up like sexual stereotypes of the era. Like I talked about Bobby and Victor. Mm-hmm. I want to say I might've done like a daddy son joke, um, <laughs> like a role play type thing. I wish I had these written down. Um, but anyways, next day we go in and Tom, the director comes out and, be, and is like, I want you to make some sort of entrance. You can start the dialogue whenever you want. You don't have to like literally come in and, and, and do it right away and, and do the stuff you prepared. And we'll let you know when you want, we want you to stop. <laughs> and again, free for all. Mm-hmm. So I went in, I did a little com- like a comedy, like sh- there was a curtain there. So I like literally did like a show the leg from behind the curtain thing and then acted a fool and, <laughs> and did a whole bunch of crazy stuff. And then I did the the piece i did get some laughs on the jokes i was like whoo and then i think i had to do it again like two or three more times but switch it up once i got into it and i feel like this is something that people can relate to once if you've done your work and you've done the research and you know the show you start to see how you're able to just play within this in this world and, and, and be spontaneous and not feel like, oh crap, I have to think of something that's going to make them laugh. It just comes naturally, which was really exciting to see. Also, I didn't mention this before, but I was wearing six inch heels because they wanted, he wanted the MC the whole show to be wearing heels. So I was wearing these like six inch heels with the platform this whole time which thank god i literally did the kaja full before the audition so i was like i have some practice you were ready <laughs> um yeah and so yeah and then i think two days later castless came out i saw my name it's still saved in my photos because i was like wow this has been my dream i literally have my dream roles posted on post-it notes all around my mirror here at home and that was like at the top. And what do I like take that off now? Right. Um, two weeks later, we had our first meeting. And like I said, Tom, the director, is a very research based director. So he assigned everyone in the cast research projects. And so I researched the queer scene and the bar scene of the era and 
learned about all of the sub like sexual communities of the era and like i said the drag balls and 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 everything and then we just kind of like did a presentation for each other and he was like great well i wanted you all to do this so that we really all knew every aspect of the world because he was he's such a big director on wanting to make sure everyone feels like they know exactly who they are they know exactly what their relationship is to the other people in the show i mean it's the kind of show it's like these dancers live together sleep together sweat together dance together so it's like you should know each other that intimately as actors and then eventually we got to rehearsals it was a lot of play for like the first two week or two of rehearsals. I had like individual work sessions where he literally just wanted to me, he put on music and he wanted me to explore with how the character moved. He would throw out if he's feeling this or if he's like on a mission, like how would he move? If he's doing this, like how would he move? Just doing some like, I don't know. I felt like I did some like a uh, gypsy rose type thing with the chair. I remember. I also created a playlist because music really helps me get in the world of a character and of a show. I mean, especially for the MC, it was very important for both of us to just feel like I could just go with the flow and not feel like anything was so set in stone and also figure out the two, the extremes of, of the masculine and feminine, but also the, the moments where he's living somewhere in the middle and somewhere out completely outside of that binary. And that was, that was really exciting for me because I never had a re rehearsal process where I felt so trusted as an actor to create alongside with the director, even in choreography rehearsals. I would get some occasional like blocking and, and it's such, but it was like a whole lot of, like I pretty much the whole beginning of Vilkeman, I was given the freedom to stage myself, which is at first very daunting. But when you realize it's like they chose you because you are capable of doing it. So trust yourself. And then once I had that like come to Jesus moment with myself, I was like, great, I'm good. But it's hard because I, I like I said, I'd never done that. And you, you try things, you fail a lot, you try jokes and the jokes don't work because the jokes I did and callbacks were not set in stone. So we were like, okay, let's try this one. Let's try that one. One of the ones we came up with was, uh, we came up with together that I thought is, was, is kind of dirty, but it's not kind of dirty. It's very dirty, but it's very <laughs> funny is, um, Hammond is on leave. I have to, of course have to do it in the accent. Hammond is on leave from the navy. Yeah, he just had to get away from all the seamen. I saw that one in the video. It got a very big laugh. <laughs> well, because it's like it's so funny because it like takes people a moment. Some people got it right away, but like it's so funny because the first time he said it to me, I was like, I, I get it <laughs> because he's in the navy, but also dot 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 yeah <laughs> um so it was just it was just really fun like when you found something that really worked it was just like good and then it was so exciting because then the cast figured out exactly how i delivered it and like what worked and then in the show like they would start to comment on it but as the characters like heckling me almost because it's like oh he does the same joke every night and it always gonna get a laugh and it's like i mean can we switch up the delivery at least a little bit which <laughs> is fun because it's like that's one of those moments that's something that's so innately theatrical because you're obviously performing a show and playing a character but you're also living in the moment as the actor i and the show lends itself to it because it's a performance show 
And I think those are, for actors, I think those are some of the most exciting moments we can have when we are saying the lines and doing the choreography, but we're living so in the moment that things happen that either have happened or haven't happened and, and keeps us entertained and, and makes it feel like a game for us. Um, like I remember we, did, we had that in, in Hunchback and, 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 and Newsies, we had those moments. Like Delaney and I had this whole storyline in Newsies where by the end of the whole run, we had finally like got together and we're a couple and up until like every show is kind of like, Oh my God, like we're flirting with each other. Like let's test the waters. And then it's like, well, the run's ending. So we got to end our love story in like a happy ending. I mean, Jack Kelly gets it. So we should get it too. Even if no one knows. (laughs) I feel like that's always a sign. If the whole cast has, has put in the work and that you're able to get to that point of everyone sort of being on the same page and being able to react in a truthful way. And it's those things that the audience has no clue are going on that sometimes they're like the best. Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's, that's what you have to do when you're doing a show for however long period of time, or you have to do something to make it seem like a game and, and keep yourself in the moment. And it's also because it's like to be with a cast that you all feel like a family. It's like, you don't want it to get stagnant. You want it to be like, we're having fun every night. And obviously it's going to have its moments where it feels like a job, but we all got into this business for a reason. I mean, we're literally playing play and dress up every night. So (laughs) make it fun. It was fun when you were a kid. Like at school, because that rehearsal process is usually so long, if Mm -hmm. you get into that, that moment where you're like, how much longer? Right. And, and I, I can remember always getting into that sort of dip of like, okay, Mm -hmm. we've, we're, we've rehearsed, we feel ready. And it was still a week or two until we would get to tech. Mm -hmm. Um, But then those two weeks were like some of the most exciting and the times where things were starting to really sink in. Yeah. So maybe let's think about either right before tech rehearsals or you can jump into tech. And once things started to come together, what was that like? Yeah, for this show especially, the fir- I, I, get, I still get like a reaction when I say the first time I heard that drum roll going into bum 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 I get I literally am getting chills right now because I, mean, I just got goosebumps <laughs> right it's 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 so when you get to do a show that has music that's so iconic mm-hmm. like I'm sure you felt this when you did 42nd street I'm like that music's like iconic um <laughs> it's iconic it is <laughs> I sound like such a gay musical theater boy right now <laughs> but 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 really it's going back to this I I've been wanting to do this show for ages and play this role and then literally hearing it with the music and then we we did this moment with the show when everyone comes on stage everyone kind of comes from all corners of the theater so we had people in the balcony we had people coming from the back of the orchestra we had two girls doing those like double cartwheels like across the stage it was very just like like Baz Luhrmann just like fantasy kind of uh, kind of moment and i remember when because the i go like hit it and the drummer goes bump up up so like does like a whole break and then it goes into we all were like came in and did it and we're all like had to stop not literally stop but like stop for ourselves and took a moment like oh my god because this orchestra sounded incredible and we're just like 
I, I again like chills because it was just so it was so exciting and then getting to add costumes and and makeup and and tech all on a, on top of that like I had two custom made coats constructed for me and I had also never seen uh like people in the costume shop so excited about the costumes for a show like literally anytime I came in for a fitting there would be like I felt like five or six people like all in the room with me. Like the first time I had put on that red coat, like velvet coat with the black fur trim for the first time in my like five inch stripper boots from upscalestripper.com. <laughs> um, and then I had another coat for, I don't care much. That was all, that was that exact same coat, but they wanted it to look like a deconstructed, like we're taking away the glamor of the world. So it was that same shape, but it was all these like leather, bonded straps that were all linked with this like metal these metal rings and it was like a see-through coat and I was like in that and a corset and my booty shorts and my wig was gone and all of act two what Tom the director really wanted was our makeup to be kind of like melting off of our faces so I have this like I have my like giant lashes and my whole eye makeup and my whole painted white face like is like melting off my face and my lipstick's just like smudged and I'm singing I don't care much which only adds to just the heartbreak of that moment in the show and then getting to do that was so exciting I mean it's also the most extensive prep time I had to do for a show I literally would get there an hour and a half before our hour call because I was like, I wanted to go into the theater and they did a whole warm up to my music. And then I would get into my whole like drag makeup, gluing the eyebrows down, getting the whole like white face on and, and all that jazz. And then, yeah, adding the lights to, it was, it, it was also, it was, I feel like I just like, I'm spouting off in so many different directions. But another thing that made it so exciting was it was all student created. It was the lighting designer. It was her MFA thesis show. The set designer, it was his MFA thesis show. The costume designer, he was like a second year. Almost all of the costumes were constructed in our shop. There was only like a few pieces that they rented from, from other places. And it was the first time we ever had a student choreographer for the show. So like one of my classmates choreographed the show and was in the show. There had never been a show, at least when I was there, that put queerness in front of a Texas audience like that. I mean, we were in a more liberal area of Texas, but again, it's like, it's still Texas. And so you still kind of had that fear. I mean, literally, I'm in booty shorts, I'm in heels and full, full drag makeup. So there's still that kind of like, what's the reception going to be? But thankfully, people by the end were just sobbing and so moved and the moments where they laughed they really laughed and the moments where they cried they really cried and I think the beautiful thing about that show that everyone gets to do with that show is every person gets a part in doing both you can make people laugh but then you also are a part in removing the glamour and the facade from the world I mean the dancers literally ripped our set apart at the end of the show and i walked into this wall that was representative of a gas chamber wall and i don't know if anyone in the audience could see but they were were so detail oriented that they carved in these like scratch marks into the wall like it was people trying to get out of the gas chamber 
And it was very emotional for me because I was obviously playing a queer person going through this. And there's a reason the show is still done to this day is because it's about persecution of people. It's about so many things, but it's about persecution of people who try to live outside of the norm of what has been set. And it's about people who are given choices. Are you going to live blindly to the atrocities that are going on to your neighbor? Or are you going to risk your life and do something about it? That's the whole thing Sally goes through is it's like Cliff goes in and he sees it all. And he's like, I got to do something. I love you, but why aren't you doing anything? And it's easier for her, especially as a woman in that world, where she's objectified and is pigeonholed and looked at as a specific way. And she doesn't have a voice. She has to do what she has to do to survive. And the MC does what he has to do to survive. He's like, I'm going to go out and speak my truth and speak for my people. And if something in the political world goes against what I believe, then I'm going to make a moment about it. And that's the whole thing of if you could see her mm-hmm. literally saying she wouldn't look Jewish at all. He's literally being like, see this, mo- this number that you just laughed at and enjoy so much? This was my intention behind it. And then after that, it's his kind of downfall. We see the world start to eat him alive until he goes off to his death. So it was really rewarding. And it was also the first time we had did a talk back for a show. So we actually got to sit and I got to talk about my process and I got to hear the reception firsthand, which is something as actors, we don't always get to hear. It was very validating to know the work that we do matters for people that that understand what we do, but also have no idea and just come because they know someone or they like musicals. But it's just very affirming that you could be doing, I don't know, the drowsy chaperone or something rotten, what I'm going to call like musical comedy. And that can impact someone in some way, even if it just takes them away from the hardships of their life. And the beautiful thing about Cabaret is that we get to do both. We get to make people think, but we also get to take people away and escape into this this world that was beautiful and that was torn away because their way of life wasn't what people believed was the norm or the right way. I mean, it's so beautiful to hear you speak about it that way. And I think... I, I said I had seen a production um, quite recently, and it didn't move me as much as I thought it was going to, yet I was still hearing the, the words, and I also, I saw the revival in 2014, yeah. and I was in awe, and then I heard it again, and that whole thing of, of like alienating certain groups of mm-hmm. people, and how that speaks now so differently than it would have even two months ago. And putting the importance of theater, no matter what kind of theater it is, that it, it does. It has the ability to, to change us and to teach us something. And the evolution of it over time is just one of my favorite things. Yeah. And going back to why, like, like I said, like great work is great work. And there's a reason like work is done consistently. I think, I know for our version of the show, I think one of the things that made it so special is because we were so adamant about wanting to be very original and create a new definitive version of the show. And I think some, if people are literally copying and pasting uh, a 
a, a version of the show, which I, I, I think a lot of people have done with the, the 98 version, is the show can still do its job because the show's written so beautifully. But in my opinion, there could be something lacking because they already discovered that version. Like, that was new then. And so it's like, how can we revise the narrative that's been done? It's like, that's why I love the revival of Oklahoma so much. Because I was like, this show, I used to hate this show just because I, I just got I just got tired of it. But then I was like, oh my God, they changed nothing in this script or this score. I mean, they did new orchestrations, which were stunning, but they changed nothing in the script. And I was like, I never realized how horny Oklahoma is. <laughs> and the fact that you can do that with shows that are so that are so done, and it made me be like, Oklahoma is a great show because you were able to do something with it like that. And I, I realized after Cabaret, I, I, I love me a big old Broadway revival. Like I loved Hello Dolly revival. I mean, pure Broadway magic. I mean, that's what I fell in love with. But I also love seeing people flip a show on its head and create something that you've never seen before, like the Pippin revival or like Spring Awakening. Know, spring, yes, Spring Awakening, or even the God the Godspell revival recently mm -hmm. with I know the with uh, Hunter Parrish and, and and Corbin Blue was in at some point where it was in the round. It's like that was even different. But just like being able to do something like that and highlight moments in the show that might not have been given attention. There's a reason Shakespeare's done so often because you can take it in so many different ways in casting uh, a woman as Hamlet versus a man as Hamlet versus someone who's non-binary as Hamlet is going to have a different impact and send a different message to the audience. And it's like we all have yeah. our own lens with which to view something through. And a lot of the times that can be like scary and mm -hmm. you can be like, oh, but this other way it's been done, I know what that looks like, I can do that. But mm -hmm. to, to take the time to, to do the research, like we said, and, and mm -hmm. to look through it in this new lens, and remembering that your lens is already new because no one has ever heard yeah. your interpretation of it before, that sometimes that is worth it to put in that extra time and effort. Yeah, yeah. you feel like you're a part of the history of the show mm -hmm. in doing something different with the show that has been done for so long. It's like you made your pinpoint in the timeline of the evolution of this show, which is so exciting in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. That's so cool. I feel I like talked my top things of like, why we do it, people? <laughs> I haven't, well, it's so funny. I haven't talked about, I've, I feel like I haven't talked about theater in so long, but like this, talking about this again, because it, obviously it's one of my most favorite memories, but I was like, dang, like, I miss it. Mm -hmm. I miss, yeah. I miss doing, I miss doing the good. I miss doing the good work. You said it. It's why we do what we do because it's fun for us, but it's, it can change lives. It can change minds. And even if it's something as just simple as taking someone away from the hardships of their life for two hours. This conversation is the epitome of why I created this podcast. Because I think even just as I was sitting here getting chills as you were talking about things, I'm sure people listening are doing the same. And that's yeah. like what I love about podcasts in general when you get yeah. to share in that. So that was so cool. And thank you so much for creating it. I, this is just, I'm, I'm so excited to, to, to listen to the other episodes. And so you have your own podcast. I do. Like 
I've listened to a couple episodes and it's so entertaining and I've learned so much in just like the first 20 minutes of an episode. So just give us like a little blurb about your podcast. Yeah. So it's, it's called Queer Queries and I wanted to create something because I'm, again, I'm a huge research person. So I'm very big into learning about queer history and queer experience and talking to all different types of LGBTQ plus people and, and, and finding the, the differences in, in, in our experiences, but also finding the universalities because, again, it, it, is, it is all a community and there are some crossovers. And so I wanted to create something where I could celebrate these people who I know and love and their stories, but also educate people within the community because for the longest time, I knew nothing outside of my own experience, my own bubble. I knew nothing about our history because we're not taught it. And so I wanted to do something that educated us in the community and outside of the community. Like my parents, I love them so much and I'm so proud of their journey, are, are very eager to learn and are very excited and are very open to, to learning about the history and, and, and everyone's experiences. And it was literally conceived and created within like May, June of this year. And yeah, it's truly a passion project for me because I'm very much big about helping to tell queer stories and and get our community out there in the mainstream and, and just educate everyone about us. Yeah. That's so cool. So Nick, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thank you. We did it. We took it from the top. <laughs> Closing night. The curtain has come down. The ghost light is out. She is done. We are done. Thank you so much, Nick. I hope you have a great rest of the day, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Hallie. I hope you soaked in all of that wisdom that Nick just shared with us. I cannot thank him enough for being so honest and open and truthful about that incredible experience he had. He hit on some of my most favorite things about theater and some of the universal impacts that it has. And really, that's exactly why I created this podcast. If you want to follow or connect with Nick some more, his Instagram for his personal account and his podcast can be found in the show notes of this episode. I am so excited and just buzzing after that conversation, and I hope you guys are too. I really look forward to engaging with you. So please shoot me an email, shoot me a message on Instagram. I want to know what you thought about this episode, what you'd like to hear in the future. I have some incredible guests lined up and I cannot wait to share all that they have to share with you. I want to send one more big thank you to Nick and a big thank you to you for listening. And please join me next time on Let's Take It From The Top.